catch up with America. By the end of two weeks, I knew all the jingles and program schedules by heart. The only thing I still needed to feel assimilated, I figured, was a furnished basement. The most popular kids in my sixth grade class had basement rec rooms with couches, a pool table, and a dancing floor. All we had in our basement was a boiler and my grandfather, I.A. Brody, who, to make room for us upstairs, had built himself a small bedroom near the furnace. A big, soft-spoken man in his seventies. My grandfather was a leading member of Manchester's Jewish community and a frequent letter writer to the ultra-conservative local newspaper, the Manchester Union Leader. Sometimes I'd watch the two men at the kitchen table, my father, short and small-boned, in his monocle and natty jacket and goatee, and my grandfather towering over him in his workman's clothes. and wonder if there had ever been two people less alike. But the two had much in common. They'd both immigrated to America, my father is a young boy from Hungary in 1902. My grandfather is a young man from Russia in 1904. They'd both risen from poverty, and they both knew from experience that there was nothing more bitter than living under someone else's thumb. Two years. Once Confucius found a woman whose family had been devoured by tigers. Why, he asked her, do you dwell in such a terrible place? Because, she answered, there is no oppressive ruler. Take note, students, said Confucius. Oppressive rule is worse than a tiger. I Though it wasn't true for my father, things in 1956 were easing up for some blacklisted writers. Many of the writers named and ruined as Reds were working again in the shadows under other names or other arrangements that kept their employers from being seen with them. One of them, Dalton Trumbo, who had served a year in jail rather than cooperate with the House and American Activities Committee, was now so busy in Hollywood, he'd almost single-handedly inspired the rumor that blacklisted writers were writing every current box office success. Great con. You may be cast among unbelievers in that stony northern land, but one subject at least thinks of you in the days of your glory and addresses you as always, Hariba Allah, and curse the infidel, Trumbo. But to the great Khan, stuck by bad luck and bad health in a place he called the icebox of America, Hollywood and opportunity seem far away. December 23rd, end of year accounts, income for 1956. Article for Nugget, 135. Article for Esquire, 360. Robin Hood rerun, 250. Article on Matches, 135. Remained in bed entire day taking the usual series of pills. Finally at night, took additional Milltown and slept, disturbed by horrible dreams. His main consolation, at least, was that he'd be left alone to bring in the little he could. He was wrong. 
That January, a member of my grandfather's congregation met secretly with an investigator from the office of Louis C. Wyman, Attorney General of the State of New Hampshire, and informed them a communist named Gordon Kahn was living in the house of I.A. Brody. Confidential. Hoover had found his man again. The office of the Attorney General Wyman reports the subject resides at 200 Prospect Street, Manchester, and spends all his time writing and is seldom seen out of the house. Following is a physical description of Khan. Age 54, wears elevator shoes, monocle, and has goatee. Make sure that surveillance is vigorous and thorough, though an interview is not considered advisable at this time.